Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. Glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm on cool. Me too. You're doing great, dude. The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Is it my advice to you? And I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Grab life big. All right, GoBros. I got Mr. Daniel Ramsey in the GoBro room. Daniel, let's get down to some brutal authenticity, buddy. How you feeling? Fresh back from South Africa. I'm here, and I got my South African Rand. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to share with the group and chat with you, man. Daniel was trying to get a South African – no, you were trying to get a Zimbabwe – I don't even know what they called him. Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe for a hundred million dollars, so he could he could have it as a goal of making a hundred million dollars, being having a hundred million net worth, and and having his company do a hundred million. He was going to pass them out to all the directors at his company, and he was unsuccessful. But he got a wooden hippo instead. <laughs> you know, it's funny is I shared that idea. Everybody's like, that's a dumb one. Why don't you get a billion dollars or whatever? And then I told everyone and then everybody started asking the money collectors and three guys got hundred million dollar things for their vision boards, but I didn't. So I'm like, you guys, bunch of jerks, man. <laughs> I know. I know that's funny. Yeah. It was your idea and you kept doing it for like a whole day. And then, yeah. and then you figured that one of them would have just given it to you. No, these guys, these guys. I love my brothers. <laughs> <laughs> no respect. No respect. Uh, all right, well, let's get into some details here, buddy. What? Uh, all right, so why don't you give everybody a little rundown on who you are, like from the day you were born till now in five minutes. Easy. I can do it in like a minute. I was born in Northern California uh, in a place called Redding, which is the third worst place to live in America, literally. <laughs> Wow. I mean, uh, I, I grew up and I always, I always knew there was a problem with the place, but I didn't know what. And then it shows up on a list in terms of teen pregnancy, drugs, all that stuff. And, and so um, I was one of the fortunate ones to get out of Reading. And, you know, my parents, I grew up in a trailer park and kind of paid for my own way through school. Uh, went to Sac State, the big city. Like, I, I, you'll laugh at this, Pat, because you're a worldly man. But I, I remember driving downtown in downtown Sacramento as like a 19-year-old kid and looking up and saying, these buildings are huge. At that point, I'd never gone on a plane, traveled anywhere, or done anything. Um, and just today, I told my assistant, I need a new passport because I filled mine up. So, you know, that's kind of a cool story. Yeah, I, I thought mine would be full after South Africa because we kept going in Zimbabwe and Zambia and they kept stamping it, but I still got a couple pages left. So that's a, that's a cool thing to fill up your passport. I think that's a good goal. So, all right. So, yeah, so that gives us up until you're about 10 years old. So keep going. Well, 1920, yeah. So I went to Sac State, 
got a finance degree, um, worked for a bank. And that was back when everybody said, get a job. You know, I kind of, you know, you need to learn cursive and you need to be able to get a job. Those are the two biggest <laughs> fucking lies. <laughs> yeah, dude, and the metrics. Yeah, exactly. Centimeters. What's a centimeter? Um, anyways, you know, so I went to school, got a job at a bank, killed it, took two people's. Uh, I, so I was doing a desk and covering like South Africa. Funny enough, South Africa was one of my files. I was like an investment banker guy. South Africa, Korea, like I just had some really cool countries, but I, you know, after three years, they gave me a 1.7% raise, which was less than inflation. And in the meantime, I'd bought a house and the guy that I bought the house from was an idiot. He mailed me the keys, like snail mail, like, you know, we're all in some form of real estate. Yeah. yeah he just snail mailed me the keys. He's like, Hey, where can I send you the keys? I'm like, why? Well, you're closing on Friday. And it was like a Monday or Tuesday. I'm like, I gave him my address. The next day I got a envelope with my first home purchase keys. Never heard from him since. And oh, so I pulled, yeah. I pulled up his, the HUD, right? Cause the mortgage guy made six grand. He made $5,000. And I thought these guys are idiots, man. I could do a better job at that. So I got a license, a real estate license, um, a broker's license, actually, because everybody wanted half my commission and they didn't want to do shit. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not giving you half. That's retarded. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, I opened uh, my first office. I walked in the doors. The guy who set up my internet and phone said he wanted to do a mortgage. And I said, I can do that. And he goes, okay, cool. And I said, but I'm getting my office set up. Let me call you tomorrow. And he's like, yeah, sure. He left. I pick up the phone and I called a mortgage buddy that I, that I knew. And I said, Hey, I think I just got a mortgage. How do I do one? <laughs> and <laughs> that was my first transaction. Yeah. So, and then in 2007, I started outsourcing my real estate company, everything from sales to marketing to all the admin stuff. And I was kind of, you know, I was like number 12 or 16 or something like this for several years in a row in my area, Sacramento. Um, and I just, I finally had built up like seven virtual assistants and we were crushing doing two, 300 transactions a year. That's when you and I met, Pat, back in the REO days. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Yep. And then, um, you know, uh, a buddy of mine said, hey, can you get me a virtual assistant? And uh, my out desk was born. I told him yes, but I'd have to charge him because it was a pain in the ass. And uh, right now we're, you know, around 1,200 virtual assistants working for real estate, insurance brokers, um, contractors, attorneys, mortgage people, doing sales, marketing, and um, admin stuff. That's awesome, dude. And, I, and Daniel has this picture of... Um of him that he took when he was in the Philippines recently where he's like laying on the ground in this really dapper tux and there's like 1200 yeah. workers behind him. It's like the best picture I've seen in a long time. It's a really awesome photo. Yeah. 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 It's good. Actually that was about half of our people. So we, we had um, 700 folks at that, at that mm -hmm. conference and wow. Yeah. It was good, man. It's been good. And I've learned a lot around business, um, having that many people work for me. And I think the one takeaway is that if you haven't created a purpose-filled business, then you haven't really, it's almost like crack cocaine. Um, once you start doing it, it, it like gets you hooked. 
Okay, wait a minute. So you're going to have to elaborate, you know, going <laughs> deep quick, which is great, but what does that mean? So we I know we what buy- it means, but I just want you to talk about it, you know. Well, you know, it's interesting. It means something different for everybody, I think. Um, Our vision is to make impact in the world, and we do that through providing opportunity. I posted something in our group, in in, um, my company's Facebook group, about opportunity. And we were in the safari truck, and the, the guide was telling us about how people would risk their lives to hunt rhinos because they could sell these noses for like you know half a million bucks or something like that but these were fathers and and uncles and brothers out there you know possibly having their lives taken away over hunting rhinos and and you know at that moment i realized what's missing in south africa and and a lot of places in the world is just opportunity opportunity fixes everything opportunity fixes all the pollution in china opportunity fixes you know uh you know, the killing of rhinos. I mean, most people would prefer to go to work and have a job and provide impact and, you know, help somebody build something than do this dangerous stuff like drugs and, and all the stuff that's bad and wrong with the world. So part of our vision is, is to extend our movement, the My Outdesk or Mod movement, by providing opportunity to people who wouldn't normally have as much. Yeah. No, uh, it, make, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, and, and what Daniel means by, you know, the rhino guy, I mean, they would be shot by the poacher police. They might be stomped by a rhino or horned by a rhino, but chances are they're more apt to be shot by the poacher police or jailed. And, uh, and that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I agree with that. You know, when I, when I look at cities like Baltimore City, Philadelphia, Chirac, all this stuff, you know, and, and look at the drug trade, I think to myself, well, you know, that's, that's all necessary uh, because there's a vacuum there of, of opportunity. And there's, if there were opportunity, there wouldn't be a drug trade. You know, it's only, it only exists because they can't make money doing other things. So I, I don't necessarily blame the drug dealers in Baltimore City, you know, for their crimes. I mean, just kind of thinking about it, you know, nor, nor do I blame the guys you know, uh, the Somali pirates, right? I mean, they're, they're starving. They don't have shoes. They got four kids. You know what I mean? That's opportunity. They got to go out there and pirate somebody, you know? Well, I, I don't know if I agree with like blame. I mean, I, I think people make choices based on where they are in the world and those choices you have to be held accountable for them. But I certainly think that you and I, people who have mass opportunity have, I think a responsibility to help provide that to others. And so if you employ people, if you're not doing contributions, one of my favorite things about GoBundance when I first joined, Tim Rhodes, another one of the elders, said, Ramsey, what are you doing to give back? And I said, oh, I've got this charity within my company and I'm doing all this good stuff. And he goes, that's all how you make money. That doesn't count, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think we, people who have opportunity, basically Americans who own businesses, we, we have a, a innate duty and responsibility to help provide that to others. Yeah. It reminds me, I saw an email come across from Gary Keller about a month ago when Keller Williams was doing the whole thing in Houston where they were, you know, had all the agents going and fixing all the houses. And he, he listed out like all his accomplishments. He's like, you know, over the past three decades, here's what I and my company, Keller Williams, has accomplished, you know, X number of agents, offices, profit, blah, blah, blah. And then he listed 
that one. He said, you know, helping this many people. And he said, of all this list, he said, I'm most proud of the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which was, you know, that. So I get it. I get it. Okay, cool. So let's get into some nitty gritty, buddy. You ready? I'm in. All right. So first of all, what percentage are you? Yeah, that's a great question. It's around a 300%. My spreadsheet's all dead. So my total gross income was 2.6 million so far this year. Um, and my expenses are 306 or 360,000. So maybe I'm a 500 percenter. Well, so, you know, the hundred percenter is going to be for horizontal, right? And you're, you're still working. So that would be all, that's all uh, vertical income. So that doesn't count. Like, do you have any horizontal income? The whole idea is if you have, if you have horizontal income that pays, if you yeah. make 30 grand, on horizontal income, you're a hundred percenter. Yep, yep. So my horizontal this year is a million bucks, and my expenses are three, so three hundred. Okay, perfect. And and where's that coming from? Primarily real estate. This year, I sold forty-two units. Jeez. Um, and I did that to actually buy the other half of my business. The, my outjust was started by my brother and I, and he was a fifty percent partner. So I had to sell all of my real estate investments to purchase the business. And so I had a, a million dollar gain. Yeah. So, so essentially last year you were a 300 percenter and this year you're going to be a zero percenter. And next year you're going to be a zero percenter unless you buy some more next or, year or unless you step out of the biz. Yeah. Which, next year, next year is going to be a tough one for me because I, I need to actually buy some investments. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll give you some, some light to shed here on, on your uh, vertical income, 2.6 mil. What, what's the gross on that? No, no, no. It's 2.6 mil is the, is the total of the vertical. And oh, okay. Nice. Income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's the EBITDA of my outdesk? Uh, I just got that report. 1.7 million right now. Okay. And what's the gross? That's actually my net, 1.7. Yeah, yeah. 1.7 is the EBITDA. Yeah, and the okay. gross is, oh, gross revenue? You wanted to know yeah, that? Yeah, gross revenue, yeah. We're at 17 million-ish. Okay, so you're doing 10%. All right, cool. And so what's your net worth now? Uh, it's gone down. Uh, so I'm at 9.3 million as of right now, but it's mostly due to debt. I took on 5.5 million in debt to buy the business. So, you know, I sold real estate and took on a bunch of debt and we went down. Yeah, sure. So I want you to talk a little bit about that because, you know, it's a subject a lot of people don't talk about, but I know other people in the tribe have actually, you know, looked for debt. I know you and Mark Swagger have been talking about it and a couple other people were, were, you know, struggling to find loans, large loans for companies. So tell me about the process you went through and, you know, any details would help to explain others. Yeah. Well, here, let me, I'll break it down for somebody who's thinking about raising capital. I have a challenge in the fact that our business has zero assets. Like we're a reoccurring revenue business. So, you know, we place somebody and we keep that client for a long time. We just continually get paid and I get a small percentage because most of the money goes to overhead and paying our virtual professionals. So when banks try to want to do a loan, most of the time they want assets. They want some sort of you know, secondary source of, you know, if, if the business fails, they can take something else and still get some of their money back. And, um, so my big challenge was finding a company that would actually, so, okay. So there's two sources, right? 
So if I were to fail on my loan, because I have an SBA loan now, I got a $3.5 million SBA loan. If I were to fail on that loan, they would try to sell my business and they have an 80% guarantee from the federal government. So there's two sources of payback. But what banks want is not to ever use their SBA kind of guarantee because then they get a red mark when it comes to the federal government. Like if the federal government say you, you're underwriting crappy loans, they, they might get shut off. So they want to have a third kind of equity source or something to guarantee that loan. And in my case, you know, I just, I have cash flow. That's the only thing we have. We don't have a building. We don't have any equipment. You know, I'm not like a lot of brothers are buying buildings and purchasing, you know, assets. Well, I was selling all my assets in order to yeah. use them as a down payment. So what'd you do? So how'd they find that third thing? Uh, they didn't. <laughs> and, <laughs> in fact, you and, found someone who would take two. Yes. And, and, in, and in fact, I found somebody who said the cash flow was the per first form and they did an analysis on all our different clients and they said the sell of the business was the second form in addition to the SBA um, guarantee. So, you know, ultimately I probably talked to 300 banks and Holy so, and, and I spent, uh, you know, so some advice for people who are trying to raise capital. Like it was a full-time job for nine months for me to Jeez. find a so, lender. So um, can you share the, the lender's name or the loan officer and broker or whatever? Some case yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, her name's Marina. She works for Bank of California. Um, I turned her on to a bunch of different businesses and um, she's great. And if you, need, if you need a direct introduction, I'm happy to do that. Um, you can just email me at daniel at Beautiful. Beautiful. Daniel at myoutdesk.com. Okay, so let's get wait, wait. There's, there's more though. Because uh, <laughs> this is such a big, it's such a big thing. And I learned, I, I want to share this. When you own a business with a partner, I think this is, this is uncharted area for a lot of people. If you have a partner, there are three roles within a business. One is ownership. So, you know, you're, and you, you have rights to profits, but nothing else. Then there's a C-level person who doesn't have rights to process uh, uh, to profits, but have a right to the upside that they create, and also they have duties and obligations to the business. And then there's an employer-employee relationship. So one of the mistakes that I made in that whole transaction was not clearly defining those three roles with my partner, who was a family member at the time. So if you're listening and you're thinking about forming a partnership, you need to have those three roles clearly defined and also um, a buy-sell agreement that's ironclad, that can't be breached, and an operating agreement and clear definitions around who has access to the you know, bank accounts and the assets of the business, whatever they are, um, whether it's reoccurring revenue or IP or software or content, whatever they are. So th those were my... Raising capital, structuring the business right. Osborne said he thinks more about how he's getting out of business with somebody than how he's getting into business or how the business is going to go. So I think that was pretty sage advice. And, you know, it's something I didn't. It's do. great advice. And if you look where he's learned, right? Look at Keller Williams. I mean, they're, they are constantly getting out of business with people. Yep. You know, that's, um, 
it's not good or bad. You know, it's probably good because look how profitable it is, right? Because not everybody stays this has the same enthusiasm. Not everybody has the same work ethic. Not everybody stays this has the same health or focus or whatever. People change, you know. So yep. this is what it is, you know. So yep. good. Yeah. All right, cool. So what's your life happiness index? Seven point four right now. Okay, so what's bringing that down? Uh, let me get to it. Okay, so ah. Uh, yeah, so diet and exercise were fives. Um, I shared with the group in Africa. I had hurt my shoulder about three months ago, and it's my first old man injury where <laughs> it didn't just go away at some point. And so I had to um, go to physical therapy. I hired a massage person, and I did this uh, these weird exercises for like, three three months so diet and exercise just wasn't um going as well as it should um i've since turned the corner I, for whatever reason it literally took three months and i had to give it like three weeks of just no activity on my shoulder so that was a big one another uh, <laughs> well to your point i put zero on horizontal income because i have nothing right yeah because you sold so, it all yeah so i sold it all so um, you know, to that end, I'm, you know, I'm looking at some property, you know, in, in the next 30 days, I'm flying out to um, Atlanta next year to talk to some of the other Go Brothers about, you know, what they do in the apartment game. Um, it's just time to dive in. And, and what's fun about that is, you know, I bought all this real estate back in seven, eight, and nine and 10, when the market was a, a wreck, and you could value buy. And now the market's hot. And I really have to, I get to almost reinvent myself in the horizontal income game. And I'm, I'm a little excited about that, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, people have been asking that. Um, Josh Painter was asking me about that on the uh, South Africa trip. You know, I mean, like, and he's in California, too. And you cannot get, you can't even, you can't even make the half a percent rule, nonetheless, one percent rule on a single family uh, house over there. So, you know, my thought with him was, there's a lot of ways out there to make horizontal income that aren't real estate or directly tied to real estate. Like I have over 700 grand right now in Osborne's aligned capital funds, you know, that pay me horizontally. They're, they're like three-year deals, right? You're like, they're illiquid. You know, you get, you get 20% back maybe each eight months or six months. But but it's paying me passive income and it's not a, an asset essentially that could depreciate, you know, or, or I could make a mistake on, it could be overly taxed with expenses. So, you know, I got that Timmy road and I invested in this, you know, vaginal mesh um, thing where we loan money to lawyers for 18%. There's, there's just so, there's just, there's a lot of stuff out there that might not, I mean, real estate, quite frankly, might not, be the best investment today it might be it might we have might have another five-year run who knows i i don't know well you know to that to that to that conversation i uh i'm looking at trucking terminals because of arnold yeah and and he was talking about was uh yeah i mean he found a niche right his category king right he didn't there there was no cat why don't you talk about that well i mean I'm just looking for, you know, there's some mobile home stuff and there's some trucking terminals. Um, I'm just looking for alternatives because the residential game and the apartment game in California is horrible. And I don't necessarily want to buy in like Oklahoma or some crap 
middle place of the world, you know? So I, I don't know. I mean, it, and, and I think now um, that I get to reinvent myself, I think uh, it's going to be fun to find, you know, passive income that may not be real estate related, you know? And, and I'm even looking at businesses because I think you, uh, I think businesses are great cash cows and, you know, that, and I, I think it's easier to build a business than buy profitable real estate. So yeah, yeah. yeah. My world. All right, cool. So um, let's talk a little bit about your give back ratio. So, right. So you make 2.6, right? So if you gave back 260 grand, you'd be a 10 percenter. Mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. gave back 26 grand, you'd be a one percenter. If you gave back 2,600, you'd be one-tenth of one percenter. What are you? Yeah, uh, I'm probably like a two or three percenter. We're You're back like 80 grand a year or something like that. Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, one thing that's getting started right now is I'm, and I showed you some of that. Um, I'm building some homes in the Philippines for an orphanage and some old folks. So tell everybody about that. Yeah, it's actually a really fun project. Um, we hooked up with an orphanage. Um, they house 400 children, 400 old people, and 400 homeless people. Mm. And there's uh, the, the elderly, there's a whole bunch of them, like 20 or 30, that are living basically in outdoor tents. So there's just a roof and a slab floor. And so we got in there and we're actually hired an architect and drew up some plans and there it's right now in the process of getting approved by the local government in, in order for us to break ground. But you know, that project is going to be $30,000 and we should start by the end of the year so that we can finish by mid next year. So that's a $30,000 gig. And I give money to Tim, um, I give money to our wrestling. Um, so I'm a wrestling coach. That's the other thing that I added because in addition to our charity, that's kind of my business kind of charity. That's what we do to give back in terms of getting all of our people into the purpose. But on a personal note, I have a wrestling team that I spend, God, 20 hours a week, a wow. week with. Yeah, it's crazy. The, I added up one time I was actually spending 30 hours, so I had to you know, ration it down. But you know, practice is two hours every day, and then we have a tournament that's all day on Saturday. And I do that for four months a year. So my give back ratio, I mean, I gave them. You can add all that, by the way. You can, I mean, you're going to be closer to 10% once you add, because if you add in your hourly rate, right, for that wrestling coach, I mean, your hourly rate at my out desk for, times 30 hours for four months is going to put you closer to 10%. Yeah. I mean, cash, though, I'm, I'm probably closer to 70, 80,000. And then time, yeah, like you said, probably triple that. You know, yeah. yeah, triple that actually easily so about 10%. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is if you're listening and you're, you, you know, my path to doing that is I'm, I'm a wrestling guy. I love it. I, you know, almost 40 years old and I can get on the mat with a 17, 18 year old kid and kick his butt. And I love that. And so when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do in contribution three, almost four years ago now, I thought, well, that's something that wouldn't feel like work. I would actually enjoy doing it and it would be impactful to kids. And so I, it's nice to be a role model to walk in there saying, you know, providing value to those kids and giving them a, giving them a avenue that isn't um, what they're normally used to, you know, uh, 
this is a low income school. So I purposely chose a low income school. Some one of our kids was sleeping on a couch last year. Another kid got took by CPA or CPS CPS in the beginning of the practice because his parents were just crazy. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that, so, yeah that's awesome. That's very, very fulfilling. Yeah, it's fun too. I enjoy it. So it doesn't feel like I'm excited to leave the office at one thirty to be there by two. You know, like I'm yeah. good with it. So what are your work hours like? Uh, during practice, I get in at 7.30, 8 o'clock, and then I leave at one thirty-two. Um, and nice. that's, that's just kind of my normal routine. But normally, when I'm not in wrestling and, it's, and I'm not traveling somewhere, I'm an 8 to 5 guy. I'm very structured with my schedule. I come in, I leave the, off, uh, the house at 7.45, I'm in the office at 8, and I'm walking out the door before 5.30 every day. And then, like, how many, like, your home base there, how, how many employees do you got? Like, not in the Philippines, just in California? Not, yeah, under 20. I, I think we, we just yeah. brought on three new people. So I think we're at 19 now. Okay. Total. Yeah. So yeah. 19 folks. And most of it's leadership. Like, you know, we have a COO. We have a controller. We just hired a chief revenue officer. So, yeah, and we have a director of HR, and the model that we employ is the one that we tell our clients they should build, which is, you know, leadership is here in the U.S., and all of the support functions for whatever, you know, category or vertical that's in is all built in the Philippines. So that's what we do. Uh, we have, you know, like we have a customer experience person, and she's here in the U.S., and she handles client escalations, but then we have, you know, 10 coaches underneath her that she leads and that's kind of the model that we've built and that we tell our clients to build. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Let's talk about health a little bit. What do you weigh now? 225 body fat, 19.9%. I did 219 on the GB nine. I added my age back. So (laughs) I am going to do that mostly for the Sam's in the world who are like twenties and, and like perfectly built, you know? Blood pressure is good. I have no idea about the life, your life expectancy. Or yeah, that's something you got to get done. You know what I mean? They got to, that's a yeah. test you got to get done. So, all right, that's, that's good stuff. So let's talk about bucket list items. So let's, we're going to do greatest hits. Okay. So in your past life, you know, just like a, a rock star has a greatest hits album. Uh, what is Dan, what five things have happened to you in your life in 40 years so far that are on your greatest hits album? Uh, well, one stands out in 2010, I moved to South America with my wife for six months. So my wife and I were just newly married and we didn't have kids. So I literally ran the three companies at the time that I were running from South America, learning Spanish. And we traveled around like Argentina, Peru, Chile, Uruguay, and just really had a great, um, six months and, you know, I've done Canada a ton a lot of heli skiing. I really like that. The Philippines, I'd go for business, but I always tack on a couple days and go do some epic stuff there. I love that. I don't know, other cool things. I mean, you know, Vietnam was great. Africa was great. But I'm, I have to say Africa is the best vacation I've ever taken. And before that, Vietnam was the best vacation I'd ever taken. So Wow, that's um, awesome. So, so we're putting together the list, actually. And, and I, I remember I promised you to put Philippines on there. I got to remember that I guess, as soon as we hang up. But if, if, if the group went to the Philippines, yeah. would we just go to the Philippines? Or are there islands around there? Is there other places you could fly to? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a couple places. There's one Boracay, which is like the part. Think of it like Maui on you know on the Hawaii Islands, um, and then there's another part that's like Kauai, that is like pristine, like rivers that you know flow under a mountain and you can paddle into them you know there's zip lines largest mall in in asia i mean and there's great food and you can pretty much do anything you want in the philippines i mean literally so i mean we have tons of epic opportunities but yeah i mean i you and it's a middle place for asia so you know indonesia china hong kong japan australia new zealand it's all how far would Hong Kong be? It's sh- sh- I mean, it's super short. It's a couple hours. So we could do Philippines and Hong Kong or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hong Kong is like um, New York, right? It's like uh, I I think China would be better. I mean, yeah. honestly, it's only a couple more hours. And right. Great Wall and all the cool shit that, that you can do in China. Stuff. Yeah. Huh. Okay, cool. So let's talk about your future greatest hits. What are your five biggest bucket list items? What do you, what do you want to happen? Yeah, so I, I'm really interested in Europe. I've, I've not been. I did UK and I haven't done like Germany and, you know, like France and Italy and Spain. I haven't done any of that. Um, so I'm really interested in that. That's probably multiple trips, right? Because it's just multiple trips. There's actually, from Florida to Spain, there's a boat ride that takes like 16 days or something like that, but it's super cheap. And you go over there and no cell phone, no internet. So I I really want to ride on that boat over to um, Barcelona and then hang out and do Spain and do all that and then fly home. So that's a bucket list. You know what that's called? No, but I can find out. I, I forget the name. Cool. Yeah. I forget, but it's like a return flight, right? Because, or it's like a return trip. Nobody wants to cross the Atlantic on some huge boat that takes 17 days and not have Wi-Fi. They all, they all want to go along the coast of Greece or Spain or whatever. Yeah, right. So anyways, that's one. Um, Japan has always been on my list. I, I literally want to do the sumo wrestling, the, <laughs> the whole... Uh, samurai dress up as a samurai and try to kick pat hyben's ass with a sword like i want to do all that i'd love to do greece yeah that's you know ski trip to europe i haven't done that yet those are some of them top ones all right excellent all right so let's see what do we got here okay so um t- tell me about your family uh, daniel you're, okay you're yeah married right married wife's a ex-teacher we met playing soccer i play soccer you know when you know you asked about health i want to add this because i don't think there's many people like me i can't go to the gym every day like a lot of guys can go to the gym and do their run or they can just ride a bike or they can just do like that physical activity like i need to be in motion which sounds weird but I, i know that there are other people like me in in this group but like i play soccer twice a week i play basketball three times a week i do yoga in the mornings two days a week um i just have to have some activity i can't just go to the gym and lift weights which which i know a lot of guys can do and i don't even remember but the family my wife and i met playing (laughs) soccer that's why my wife and i met playing soccer yeah yeah i knew there was a tie in there (laughs) All right, so your wife, how many kids you got? 
We got two. One that's uh, a year old and super cute and uh, is just in that stage where she's barely talking but really wants daddy. And then a four-year-old who, a lot of personality, a lot of energy, man. Her name's Georgia. The oldest one's Georgia and the youngest one's June. Uh, the wife keeps my life organized, runs the house and makes sure that I walk away with food in the morning, you know, because uh, I'll forget otherwise. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, we have a cabin in Tahoe. I'm actually going to take my girls by myself to Tahoe for the weekend this weekend, which is I, gonna I, be- tol- I totally recommend that because I have two girls, too. And, um, you know, what I found growing up was the girls were in the boys, too will always go to mom, right? They'll use mom as a crutch. So if you're both standing there and they need something, they go to mommy. So the yep. father doesn't get much fulfillment until the mommy's not there. And then they go to you. And, and it's a really special feeling to be needed for that period of time. You don't know what it's like. And I used to do that with my kids. I used to, I used to kick my wife out of the house and be like, hey, just me and the girls day or I'm going to take them here. I mean, I, I think that's a beautiful idea. Take them to Tahoe and then you, they'll need you, right? Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting too, is my COO, who's just an epic stud, he, we, he and I were talking today and he said he had this coach one time and that coach said, you know, you know, Jeff, there's only 800 weekends in your lifetime. Like you're going to have 800 weekends ah. from now, from now until you die. And That's so this guy, this guy, you think there'd be more than that. Yeah, you'd think, but he says this guy, he's like, I'm intentional about spending every single weekend with the people that I love. And he's like, when you have kids, you get 300 weekends, you know, like it's some average blah, blah, blah. And so I just, I like that. And I think that concept of, you know, being intentional, spending time with those that you love on the weekends and evenings and doing trips with them. I I think that's pretty powerful concept. Yeah. I mean, learn from Swagger, right? Who takes a, has three girls and he takes a father-daughter trip with each one every, every year. year. He's yeah. getting ready to go to Jamaica now Yep. Uh, for a marathon or something with his oldest. I mean, I, I, I finally got the, the bug from him. It took me a long time, but I took my daughter to Serbia and um, Croatia and, and you know, did a Game of Thrones tour about a month ago. I daughter, my younger daughter wants, now wants to go to Czech Republic after that, after she saw what her sister did. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it, it's, if, if you can start that habit when they're young, it's just, uh, you'll never regret that, never. Yeah, and I, and I would, you know, what's cool about Schweiger too is um, he's inspired me in a lot of things. I'm holding him accountable now so that him and his daughters go to take scuba lessons so they can get certified and actually dive when they're in jamaica so uh well, better hurry up yeah he's 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 doing it in this quarter so. it, doesn't, I mean, it doesn't work like that i mean it, i did that at, when i did that in maryland where he lives and you gotta pass a you gotta take like a <laughs> you gotta take like a course and wow. then you pass a test a written test and then you gotta do an underwater test it's not you can't just you can't just get a kid certified like a blink of an eye. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen, to be honest with you. Well, I actually failed the test. This is a true story. I, 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 did, I was probably like 28 or something, and I was working really hard selling real estate, and I would come into class around 7 o'clock. It was 7 to 10 for like two months, yeah. and, and we'd learn, and I'd be bored, and then it came time for the written test, and I failed it. Yeah. I just well. couldn't remember all the 
depths and the submersions and all that shit. So I had to take it again. Anyways, um, yeah, th this has been awesome, dude. Well, I really appreciate you coming out and, and uh, sharing all this uh, candor with us and uh, look forward to catching up with you in uh, Steamboat or sometime sooner if uh, opportunity arises. Awesome, man. Thanks for the time. Guys, if you're what – what advice, dude? Get in the pod, get an accountability partner, do some contribution, and start setting badass goals. That's what I'd leave everybody with. Awesome. All right, brother. Grab life big.